And we're going to look to the word of the Lord. I'm going to invite your attention to the book of Jude. I want to speak to you tonight uh, from this uh, great uh, book of the Bible. Uh, in the Old Testament, there are major prophets and minor prophets. And for all uh, intents and purposes, it, it appears that the major prophets are the ones with the, with the uh, books that have many chapters. And the minor prophets are the ones with the books that have fewer chapters. So Jude would be one of those minor epistles if we were going by the same, uh, by the same description. But uh, it's, it's a one-chapter book, and there aren't that many of those in the Bible, but it's one of them. It's one-chapter book, so we will be reading from the first and only chapter. But it's from the book of Jude. I just want to read the first two verses to start with, and then we'll look uh, throughout this uh, book. But the scripture says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. And so I want to talk to you about those three things, sanctified, preserved, and called. Sanctified, preserved, and called. And this book of Jude is an interesting book uh, because it deals with it deals with the judgment of God, and it recounts the judgment of God as it unfolded in ancient days. And he is reminding uh, those that received this general epistle, and he is reminding us because we are recipients of this epistle. But he is reminding the reader of that judgment of God, what invites it, what causes it to come to pass. We would do well to hearken to that. Uh, we're living in the last days. And the Bible describes a day in which the scoffers would go about the streets saying, where is the promise of his coming? And we're living in those days where the scoffers are going about the streets and we really need to be in a position of Abraham where he is saying, oh God, have mercy upon uh, this, this people. Or we need to be in a position of Daniel who repented himself for him, himself and for the sins of his nation, that God would have mercy. Uh, same with other prophets in the Old Testament. But we're living there. And Jude deals with the fact that there are, there is a judgment that comes from God. And it is, it is his wrath upon the sins of, of humanity. And he opens his book by explaining to us that we are sanctified by God the Father. And he lets us know that there is a preserving that occurs and that this occurs in Jesus Christ and that we are called. And then he begins uh, to uh, speak words that some can just dismiss as salutation, uh, but if you study the word of the Lord for a while, you know the salutations are not to be dismissed. A lot of truth in these salutations of the epistles. A lot of truth in the signings off of these epistles. Uh, same, to be, same can be said of the, of the genealogies of the, of the books of the Bible, namely the Old Testament and, of course, the gospel accounts. And the, the, the begats, while that may seem a little tedious to go through, there's a lot of truth wrapped up in every word of this holy Bible. 
And this is more than just a generic salutation. He says, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. And, and really, he is, he is setting the stage with these powerful words, words like sanctified, words like preserved, words like called, words like mercy and peace and love and multiplied. These are all powerful words and it's, it's setting a platform for him to go into helping us understand what some of the challenges are to people who are in Christ. Okay. That's who he's, that's who he's writing to. He's writing to the church. And uh, so he begins to explain verse three. He says, beloved, that that's a powerful word. Beloved, that's who you are. And, 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 and what does it mean? It means you are loved by God. It means you are loved by us. You are loved by one another. You are loved. So be loved. Make sure that you recognize it and acknowledge it and accept it and receive it. Be loved. Be loved. When I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation... And, and I, I, that's worth noting that he is describing that this salvation is common. It is not, uh, there are not exceptions to it. There are not categories of it. There are not different tiers of it. This is a common salvation that God has given. And it is not, it is not based on class. It is not based on how society may try to compartmentalize people and divide people up. No, God looks upon all of us as people that he has come to save. He created all people. God does not deal in the demarcations that man places upon one another. God sees us as people that he created that he wants to live forever. So it is a common salvation. It is good for people, regardless of their economic status, regardless of their station in life, regardless of their background of any sort or, 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 or so. It is a common salvation. And it has appeared to all men. The scripture says that it's a common salvation and because of it, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith that was once, which was once delivered unto the saints. Now that is the faith. When the Bible says one Lord, one faith, that's the one faith that it's talking about. It is the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. It, what the saints received as the faith, as the message, as the truth, as the gospel, that is the faith. There are not multiple faiths, many faiths. There is the faith. It is one Lord. It is one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. And this is what we do with it. We earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And that has a variety of connotations to it. We are to earnestly contend. Paul described it like this. He said, I have fought a good fight and I have kept the faith. So that, that is in keeping with what Jude is saying when he says that we should earnestly contend for the faith. 
It is fighting a good fight. It is running the race. It is keeping the faith. One place he said, hold fast the profession of your faith, Paul did. So, so think about that. The profession, we know that the profession is something that comes from your mouth. That's why we call them professors, because they are professing something. Uh, that's why uh, we, when, we, when we say something, we say that we are professing. But it is not just what you say, it is what you do. That's why we may call the work that you do or your career your profession. Because what you say and what you do need to be aligned with each other. And so when he says to hold fast the profession of your faith, he is telling us to get a hold of that faith and hold on and don't ever let go. And let it be the profession. Let it be what you say, profession, and let it be what you do, profession. Don't let those be two different things. Nothing worse than a person who says one thing and does the other. Jesus would call that a hypocrite. And that's not what we want to be. We want to be those who hold fast the profession of our faith. So Jude would say the very same thing, but he would say it this way, that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And then he goes into verse four. And verse four is what I want to kind of bring to our attention from this point forward. He says, for there are He's telling you why you've got to earnestly contend for the faith, why you've got to fight the good fight of faith, why you've got to get a hold of it and never let go, why you have to buy the truth and sell it not, why you have to put your feet upon the solid rock of truth and never look back. Remember Lot's wife, what happened when she looked back? Don't look back. He that looketh back after having put his shoulder to the plow is not fit for the kingdom, the scripture says. So, so earnestly contend for the faith and here is why. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation ungodly men. And here is the definition of these ungodly men who have crept in unawares. Here's the definition. They turn the grace of our God into lasciviousness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he is warning us about. The rest of the book of Jude has to do with these certain men who are crept in unawares. Jesus tells a parable, and uh, in this particular parable, it's the t- parable of the tares and the wheat. And he describes how that, that seed was sown, wheat was sown, and, and so the harvest of wheat comes forward, comes forth, and when it does, to the, to the master of the harvest, to his shock, there is, uh, there are tares among the wheat and the tares among the wheat, they can look like wheat, but, but they don't actually have wheat grains. So they look like wheat, but there's no substance to them. In fact, so much, that is so much the case that they say that the wheat will actually bow over with the weight of the 
of the kernel and of the grain. Whereas the tear is unburdened by any substance, so it just stands up straight and tall. And so you can tell they look the same, but one bows and one stands up straight. And, and so this is a pretty interesting little parallel because you can tell how close you are to being the harvest that God wants you to be by your willingness to bow in his presence. Yeah, physically and of course spiritually and emotionally and in every way. What are you willing to lay down in his presence and give him lordship in your life? And so, so in this parable, the servants of the harvest are dumbstruck. They don't know what to make of the fact that there are tares in the wheat. And they look at the master of the harvest and they say, did not we sow good seed in this field? I thought that the seed was good. And, and, and that's what people do when they look out many times over the harvest that comes forth from the work that they have put in and they see this convoluted result and they see tares among the wheat and they wonder, wait a minute, I thought we, I thought we preached the gospel. I thought we gave the good word of God. And, and the master of the harvest says, there was not one thing wrong with the seed. The seed was pure and good. And I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, that this word of God is pure and right and holy and good and true. There is not one thing wrong with this holy book. It'll teach you everything you need to know about living life on this earth and for eternity. It'll give you power over sin and death. It'll give you power over the devil himself. And you can put your confidence in the word of God. And yet, and yet, even at the end of sowing good seed into the ground, Tares have come up with the wheat. So the servants are concerned, how did this happen? And in the parable, the master of the harvest explains to them, he says it this way, an enemy hath done this. And this is what he says. He said, while men slept, an enemy came in unawares and sowed tares among the wheat. And so this is a valuable lesson for us to learn. And the lesson is this that you can have the good word of God. You can have the seed that produces the wheat. You can have the seed that produces the fruit. You can have the precious word of God continually being poured into your life and wheat will come from it. But if enemies come in and begin to sow while men sleep, that's an important part of this. While men slept, the enemy came in and sowed tares among the wheat. And, and so this is a valuable lesson for us to learn. Number one, don't go to sleep. Hallelujah. Stay wide awake. Stay alert. I know your physical man has to go to sleep, but in your waking hours, you make sure that you are alert and ready and responsive and focused upon the things of God. Don't subject yourself to enemies, adversaries, and problem, uh, problems in this world that will sow tares into the field that God intends for a wheat harvest. 
God wants you to be faithful. God wants you to be holy. God wants you to be righteous. God wants you to love one another. God wants you to love your enemies. God wants you to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is what constitutes wheat, people who are set apart under God, holy and sanctified and true. And, and what constitutes a tear is the enemy coming in and sowing something that looks like wheat but isn't. Looks the part but isn't. Sounds like it's right but it's not right. Has a resemblance to truth but isn't truth. And this is such a terrible thing to have happen and yet it happens all the time. And so in this very same way, certain men in the book of Jude are crept in unawares and they are ungodly men and they are crept in unawares. So, so the question becomes, when are you unaware? When do you go to sleep? When do you take your eye off the road? When do you take your hands off the steering wheel? At what point do you get careless in your walk with God? Uh, you know, there's a, the scripture talks about the cities of refuge. The cities of refuge were a place where, where a person who was uh, involved in the accidental slaying of a person, not, not those who purposely did it, but those who accidentally did it, say they were working on a, on a tree uh, cutting down the tree, the Bible uses the illustration of the axe head flying off of the, off of the handle of the axe and it's striking someone and causing them to lose their life. While the investigation is underway, this person could run to a city of refuge and find a sanctuary there and be safe from the avenger of blood. But the avenger of blood could avenge them Selves, if that person were to venture outside the city of refuge. And that's what happens when we fall asleep at the wheel. We venture out of the city of refuge. And that's when problems start arising. And you may think that you can step out of your walk with God to do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. You might think that you can step out of the parameters of your relationship and covenant with the Lord and live the way you used to live and be all right. I want you to know that's where the tears come from. That's where certain men creep in unawares. And you've got to be so careful, ladies and gentlemen, especially in the advent of the internet, you've got to be careful. You, you know, never have we been more in, uh, in violation of the scripture that, that tells us, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Never have we been more in violation of that than we are in 2023. You can Google whatever ungodly counsel you want to Google. You can YouTube whatever ungodly counsel you want to YouTube. And you've got to make sure that what you're putting into your heart and mind is coming from the word of God and that it is the true word of God. Just because somebody says they're teaching you the word of God doesn't mean that they're teaching you the truth. Because notice what he said about these certain men that are crept in on the wares in verse four. They are ungodly men and the Bible says they turn the grace of God unto lasciviousness. They're not, they're not starting with lasciviousness, which is a crude, lustful indulgence of the flesh. 
They're not starting with that lasciviousness. They're starting with something you feel very good about, the grace of God. So turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. They don't just bring lasciviousness up and say, hey, try this. No, 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 no. No, these guys, these guys are ungodly and they creep in unawares. They crept in unawares. They are stealth. They are able to walk without being heard. They're able to slip in without your knowledge. They're able to find the vulnerability of what you have in your spirit. This is why you have to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints so that the enemy can't find a gap in your armor. This is why you have to buy the truth and sell it not. This is why you have to stand having your loins girt about with truth. Having on the breastplate of righteousness. Having upon you the helmet of salvation. Having upon you your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Do you know why David hid the word of God in his heart? So that I might not sin against thee. It is this earnest contention for the faith. It is this hiding of God's word in your heart. It is this holding fast the profession of your faith that will make you strong in the hour of temptation. Praise God. You know, they say of counterfeit, uh, account, counterfeit bills that the way that the national treasury is able to spot a counterfeit bill is not by examining all the different versions of a counterfeit bill but by examining the authentic bill so thoroughly that when they see the counterfeit, they can tell what the counterfeit is by its variation from the authentic. We have to become so acquainted with the authentic that we know the authentic and that's what we know. When there's a deviation from the authentic, and that word deviation is a, is a real word. Deviation is where we get our word devil. It's where we get our word devil. It's, a devi- it's where we get our word deviant. It's all connected. And, and when there is a devilish, deviant deviation from the authentic, your antenna needs to go up and say, that is not of God. That's not of God. Hallelujah. But these guys are stealth, they're, they're, they're very clever and crafty and there's certain men crept in unawares and they can creep into your, they can creep into your playlist unawares and they can creep into your podcast repertoire unawares and they can creep into who is giving you counsel unawares. They can sound authoritative about the things of God because they take what is most precious to all of us, the grace of God. And that's where they start. Let's talk about grace, the grace of God. I'm going to tell you, we're saved by grace. By grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. And so when somebody starts talking about such a holy, such a sacred such a beautiful thing as grace, they'd better be telling you the truth and you'd better be able to spot the truth and therefore spot error from a million miles away. And I want you to be careful that you aren't always trying to glean the good from something that's unholy. Let me remind you about the thief. There are three reasons he comes. 
Here they are, ready? He cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So when the thief, the thief is trying to organize a presentation to your heart and mind on a topic that is near and dear to your heart, such as the grace of God, what good are you going to glean from somebody who comes with only three purposes? To steal, to kill, and destroy your family, your marriage, your ministry, your mind, your conscience, your, your peace of mind. That's all he wants to do is wreak havoc in your life. So you've got to be prepared for this. They turn the grace of God unto lasciviousness. And this is the thing to be so careful about. Because number one, you've got to, again, you've got to remember what lasciviousness is. Lasciviousness is the the roving appetite of your sinful flesh. And it is lustful. It is the lust of the eyes. It is the lust of your flesh. It is the pride of life. It is full of deadly poison and toxicity to every relationship you have. And in the end of it is in fact death. And, and this is what the enemy wants to turn the grace of God into. How does the enemy turn the grace of God into that? Because let's talk about what the grace of God is. The grace of God is the divine favor of God upon Jesus the Christ. Somebody said it's, it's, it, grace is the favor of God. It is, it is actually him stooping, him who is holy, stooping to give us his favor. Okay. It is the favor of God. Somebody called it unmerited favor. It's only unmerited by you and I. It is absolutely merited by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ achieved what we cannot achieve. And when we are repentant of our sins and baptized into his name and filled with his spirit, that favor that was on Jesus comes on us. Not because we are so great or so wonderful, but because he is so great and he is so wonderful and we are putting our faith and our obedience in him. Hallelujah. Now, now and so this divine nature of God comes upon you and, and you're able to start living a holy life. How? By the grace of God. This is why anytime you talk about something that you've been able to accomplish for God, I like, if I remember it, Lord help me, by the grace of God, I remember it. But occasionally, I, well, most of the time, I try all the time to say, by the grace of God, by the grace of God. There's an old song that said, there go you and I, but by the grace of God. And what, what are they saying? We're saying that if it had not been for Jesus who achieved the favor that God wants to put on all of humanity, but nobody was worthy of or qualified to receive it, but Jesus was qualified and Jesus was worthy. I want you to know he's worthy. He's worthy because he was obedient. In all things, he was obedient. He was tempted in all points as we are tempted, but he was without sin, which makes him worthy. Worthy of what? Worthy of the praise. Worthy to open the seals, to open the books and loose the seals. Worthy to judge. 
That's why it's the judgment seat of Christ. That's why it's worthy is the lamb. Could have said worthy is the, is the father. Worthy is the great I am. Worthy is the advocate. Worthy is the mediator. Could have said a bunch of things, but it specifically said worthy is the lamb because it is his innocence in life that made him worthy of all our praise and all our devotion. And that is, it is that innocence that is upon us when we are in him. That's the grace of God. Hallelujah, it's a beautiful thing. Who in the world, besides the devil, nobody but the devil, would want to take that beautiful, holy, sacred truth and turn it unto somehow excusing the fulfilling of the lusts of the flesh. And it happens all the time. Our world is filled with people who claim a faith in God, even a faith in Christ, and, and yet they will contend that grace gives them the license to be lascivious. They will contend that it is okay to commit sin because the grace of God's got me. That is a misunderstanding of the grace of God. And the folks that teach it are these certain men crept in unawares that turn the grace of God unto lasciviousness. Oh, hallelujah. Let's go to the book of Romans chapter six. I want you to be very careful with that. And I'll tell you why. Because it is a seductive doctrine. The Bible refers to the doctrines of devils. That is a doctrine of devils. It is, it is Satan transforming himself as an angel of light. That's what Paul warned us about. He said that even Satan can transform himself to appear as an angel of light and can preach another gospel to you that is really not another gospel because there is no other gospel. And he explained to us that if any preach unto you a different gospel than what you have heard from us, the apostles of the lamb, the apostles of the lamb, going back to his innocence in life, the apostles of the lamb, if they preach any other gospel unto you, let them be accursed. Hallelujah. Romans chapter six, right out of the gate, Romans six and verse one. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? that grace may abound. Now the next verse, this is an interesting thing to me. I have, I have read in other translations, okay? And I'm not trying to pick on other translations. I'm not trying to. I like King James. I like to quote the King James. And I'll read other translations as kind of commentary to King James, but I like, I need something to quote. So I, I, I quote the King James. And, and this is maybe an example of why I like to do that. Romans 6 and verse 1 and verse 2. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So here's the statement. Here's the question, the rhetorical question. Shall we keep on sinning because supposedly we got this grace that covers everything we do, that God's somehow cool with the sin we're committing because his grace is so, so rich and so good that we can just keep on sinning and his grace covers us? Is that the way this works? These next two words of verse two answers that rhetorical question. God forbid. In a lot of the translations, it'll, it'll put, instead of God forbid, it'll put by no means. That's different, folks. That's different than God forbid. Oh, hallelujah. 
I'm going to say that again. By no means is different than God forbid. And that's, a, that's one of the problems we have in the modern church and modern Christianity is that people have forgotten that God forbids stuff. They don't think God forbids anything anymore. But in the New Testament, God forbids. I'll go as far as to say he is more forbidding of things in the New Testament than he was in the Old Testament. Now you say, well, well are you kidding? Have you read the law of Moses, how, how random it is and how granular it is? Yeah, but, but, but we're talking about, about the righteousness of God here. And, and, and he gave them the law of Moses because he knew they were incapable of keeping the law of God. That's why they had the law of Moses, because it was trying to close as many loopholes as humanly possible, literally humanly possible, which was impossible. But, but when you get into the new covenant, the old covenant that involved the law of Moses is fulfilled and, it's, and it's, it's wrapped up airtight. You get into the new covenant and now there's the power of the Holy Ghost. Now there's the power of the blood of the Lamb. Now there's the power of the name of Jesus. Now there's victory in Jesus. And so we don't have excuses in the New Testament. So this is what caused the Apostle Paul to stand up on Mars Hill in Athens and say, you men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. I passed by and beheld your devotions and I saw one to the unknown God. You set up an altar to the unknown God. This is in Acts chapter 17. And you did it because you wanted to cover your bases. You were afraid that maybe there was an unknown God that you hadn't given his proper due. Well, you're right about that. You've ignorantly worshiped him, but I'm getting ready to declare him unto you. Hallelujah. In him we live and move and have our being. But he made a statement in this passage of scripture in Acts chapter 17. He said this, he said, the times of this ignorance God once winked at, but now command of all men everywhere. Do you know how universal that is? But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. There was a day, he said, when God would have looked at the heathen who were worshiping an altar to the unknown God and he'd have just had pity and he would just like, I'm just gonna act like I'm not seeing that because they don't know any better. And, and the ignorance, the times of this ignorance, God once winked, which means he closed his eye. He said, but those days are over. And now he commandeth all men everywhere to repent because we're in a new covenant and we have access to the holy place, all of us. So, so when we're talking about this matter of the grace of God being turned into lasciviousness and God forbidding that we would continue in sin, that grace may abound, God forbid that you would ever live the kind of life that says, God doesn't care how I live. God doesn't care what I do. God doesn't care. Oh, no, no, no. You, you got to understand. You have more power over sin now than you ever did before in this new covenant. So God forbid. You've got to get, you've got to, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Hear me. You have to 
who believe in the holiness of God. God is a holy God, which means he is set apart and pure. You can't drag him down into the muck and the mire of your sin and think that, that that's okay. This is what makes him being manifest in human flesh so remarkably amazing because he is so high and he is so holy. In Isaiah chapter six, the angels covered their face as they flew around the presence of the Lord. You wanna know why? Because he was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple and he was too holy for them to even look upon him. Moses said, show me thy glory. And God said, you don't even know what you're asking for. You'll die if I show you my glory. He is too holy for any person to see him in his raw glory. You and I aren't holy enough to be anywhere near as holy as he is. The fact that he became a man and and achieved holiness on our behalf and then gave that holiness to us is a miracle. Yeah, amazing grace. Yeah, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Yeah, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I'll serve him the rest of my days. I'll praise him for as long as I live and into eternity. I had no way of getting into his presence. Oh, thank God, but just, oh, just like Jacob's ladder, that the top of it reached into the glory of God, but the bottom of it reached down to where I was, and it was a rung within arm's reach from me, and Jesus told Nathaniel, he said, you're going to see angels ascending upon the Son of Man and descending, just like Jacob's ladder. You want to know why? Because he was the ladder. He was that bottom rung you could get your hand on. And you could climb into the presence of God with Jesus as the apparatus whereby we can ascend into the glory of God. Hallelujah. God forbid, don't continue in sin that grace may abound. This is one of the reasons why so many modern Christians who profess a Christian faith, this is one of the reasons why they lose their faith because they were told that they could continue in sin and that grace would abound, and that's not how it works. So because that's not how it works, they don't think it's true because it doesn't work. You keep, you keep sinning and you're gonna keep adding confusion to your life. Grace of God or no grace of God. You keep committing sin and you're gonna keep adding more and more confusion to your life. Know ye not? Actually, verse two, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? That is what is to happen with our flesh. We are to die to it. I am not trying and nor do we ever try to get people to manage their flesh, manage their sin, cope with their sin, deal with their flesh, deal with their sinful appetite, sinful ways. No, 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 no. No, we're trying to get you to crucify it. We're trying to get you to nail it to the cross. Now, I know you're in a human body, and this human body is mortal. It's corruptible. So guess what? You're going to have the same challenge tomorrow. And you're going to have to die. Not weekly. Not monthly. Not quarterly. Not semi-annually. You're going to have to die daily. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, it, it works. 
How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not? I love when Paul does this. Paul adds these scriptures. Know ye not? I love because those are his rhetorical questions. Really what he's saying is, surely you know by now. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, this was not just a ceremony, this was not just a ritual, this was not checking the check uh, box, uh, uh, box off the checklist, this was being baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Praise God. If we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of, we should be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. He's talking about the grace of God here. The grace of God will give you power to not serve sin. And that's what you are. That's what I am. When we are sinners, we are servants to sin. Sin tells us what to do and what not to do. Sin tells us where to go and where not to go. Sin tells us who we can have as friends and who we can't have as friends. Sin tells us what we're going to drink and when we're going to drink it and how many of them a day we're going to drink it because sin, we are servants to sin. And so the scripture goes on to say, he that is dead, meaning crucified with Christ, is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Verse number nine, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. He came one time, he came to walk into the holy place one time, he came to give his life one time. You don't need another sacrifice. You don't need to go offer a lamb in Jerusalem anymore. That happened at Calvary's cross. It was fulfilled in Christ. The scripture says, likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign. That's a big word. Because that's what happens when you let sin in. Sin takes over. You know the Bible calls it a leaven. It's 11, and, and a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. You let, you let a little bit of sin. You are, you are participating in a fool's errand if you think that you can let a little bit of sin in and control it. You've crept, you, certain men have crept in unawares, and they've taken over, and, 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 and leaven is leavening the whole lump. It's full of toxins and iniquities. So let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members. This is your human physical body. Do not yield your physical body as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But yield yourselves. What a word. Yield. Yield. You know, you know that's, not, that's not legalism. That is that is you, it's surrender. It's yielding. It's saying, God, I can't do this. I'm going to let you take control. 
You're yielding your members unto God. Your physical body, yield yourselves, that's body, soul, and spirit, unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Did you know that God can take that same physical body that used to be a slave and servant to sin and can use it as an instrument of righteousness unto God? Sin, verse 14, shall not have dominion over you for you are not under the law, but under grace. Hallelujah. Sin will not have dominion over you because you are not under law. If you're under law, then you're going to be trying your very best to do what's right. And guess what? You're going to commit sin every time because you're under the law. You don't have the Holy Ghost working in you. You don't have the blood of Jesus that washed your sins away. You don't have the name of Jesus that you can stand in and take comfort in. You're under the law and you're trying your best. And, and, and let's say you achieve some success, okay? Let's say you, you nail down a, a particular behavior. You target one behavior that's wreaking havoc in your life. And there are people who don't have the Holy Ghost, who have stopped participating, who don't have, who don't live under the grace of God, who have stopped participating in certain sinful behaviors. And so, they think they've overcome sin. Well, they've overcome a sinful behavior, but that's not how you overcome a sinful nature. Because even though you may have overcome the sinful behavior, the sinful nature is still at work. You, you haven't remitted the sin, washing it away with the blood of the lamb. You have, you have ceased to participate in a sinful behavior through your willpower and through your determination. So, to you be the glory. Worthy is you. Praise be unto you. Everybody gives you a hand clap of praise. That's what it ends up being. So all you've done is you've reallocated the sin from this behavior to pride. And it makes you feel like you can look down your nose at people who haven't done the hard work that you did. And you look down at them with condescension. But that's not the way the grace of God works. See, in the grace of God, you still overcome those sinful behaviors, but you don't just overcome sinful behavior, you also overcome sinful nature. So now you know it wasn't your might or your power or your willpower or your determination or your discipline or your good, 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 whatever good you got. It wasn't you. It was God. So you can't look down your nose at anybody because there go you and I except for the grace of God. I can't look down my nose at somebody who is struggling with something that I used to struggle with or still struggle with. I can't look down my nose at somebody and act like I'm better than, no, no, no. It is God who kept me. It is God who saved me. It is God who delivered me. So I'm able, to, I'm able to stand with my brother and my sister and have compassion and say, hey, we can make it. You can do this. I've been where you are. God has the power. Put your trust in him. Yes. Praise God. Hallelujah. That's why, that's why it, it has to be that it might be by grace. It has to be by the grace of God. So he says, we're not under the law, we're under grace. Verse 15, what then? Here comes another rhetorical question. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. No, that's not what he said. God forbid. Oh, Lord, help our hearts 
to have a healthy reverence for what you forbid. God, help us at Tree of Life Church, help us to be holy in your sight. Not in ours and not in others, but in your sight. And if we're holy in your sight, oh God, hallelujah, then that holiness has a way of permeating every part of us. It'll get into our internal members. It'll get into the external members. It'll be in our hearts. It's got to start on the inside and it'll show up on the outside. Praise God. And so... So God forbid, he says it again. Now this is two times in the same, in the same dissertation, two times that he has said, shall we continue in sin? He gives that option. Should we continue in sin since we're under grace? And both times, God forbid. That's significant when it's mentioned twice. Okay, he goes on to say, don't you know to whom you yield yourself servants to obey? His servants you are to whom you obey, whether it be sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Do you see? Do you see? What death is to sin, righteousness is to obedience. And what sin is to death, obedience is to righteousness. Now you remember how death got here. Death wasn't supposed to be here. None of us should ever be afraid of death in God's original plan. There shouldn't be mortuaries, morticians, funeral directors, undertakers. I think I just listed three names for the same thing. But, you know, no gravestones, no cemeteries, no obituaries. There shouldn't even be an industry called the funeral industry because there was never supposed to be death. How did death get here? It came by sin. Sin was let in and death crept in unawares. And you think you can sin and just have fun. No, no, you'll sin and you'll die. Sin, the wages of sin is death. That's what the last verse of this chapter says. That's what happens to your relationships. You, add, you put a little sin into your relationship, it'll be dead before you know it. Because sin kills, sin brings death. But in the same way that sin brings death, Obedience brings righteousness. Ooh, hallelujah. Glory to God. That actually simplifies righteousness. You, all you got to do is obey to be righteous. Just let the Lord lead you and guide you and obey his word and righteousness will follow. Real righteousness, not self-righteousness, not unrighteousness, but true righteousness. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became, are you ready for this? The servants of righteousness. That means righteousness is telling you what to do. Righteousness is telling you where to go. Righteousness is telling you who to be entangled with or engaged with and not. And if you'll listen, if you'll listen, you will hear righteousness say, no, no, don't do that. That's not right. That's not right. Don't go there. No, they're not good for you. They're not good for you. You don't need to run with that crowd. You don't need to go do the things they do. Anybody remember when the righteousness started talking to you and leading you and guiding you. Be a servant of righteousness. 
Hallelujah. Be a servant of righteousness. He said, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants in uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield yourselves members servants to righteousness unto holiness. See, it, it starts with obedience and obedience becomes righteousness and righteousness becomes holiness. For whom or for when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. I don't want to be free from righteousness. I don't want to be free from righteousness. And listen, any, any preacher that tells you that you're free from righteousness, what they're really telling you is that you're a servant to sin. When you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What, here's another question, a rhetorical question. What fruit had you then in these things? What, what fruit came of that? What, what love and joy and peace came from your sinful behavior? I speak to you, I speak to you as a, as a, a person, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's nobody in here who can look down our nose at anybody, but I've got to preach to you the truth of the word of God. And so I'm going to ask you what Paul asked the church at Rome. Think about it. What good came from your sinful activity? What fruit had you in those things whereof you are now ashamed? And listen, there are two thresholds. Okay, or, or there's a threshold. There's a threshold where decent people are ashamed of their sins. These are people that have a conscience. They're ashamed of their sins. There's some stuff they don't want people knowing about. Why? Because they are now ashamed. They did something in the moment. They did something, they got carried away. They went somewhere, they did something, whatever. They're now ashamed. What you don't want is to become that person that crosses that threshold and nothing can make you ashamed. That means your conscience has been seared with a hot iron. And now you don't care. You're all in. You don't care what God or anybody thinks. That is a dangerous place to be. And the world will applaud you until, they, until you've made an utter fool of yourself. And then they'll discard you right along with, with the, the relationships that are lost in your sin. And so he goes on to say, what fruit had you then in these things? Where have you now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. You gotta ask yourself, where's this going? Where's this headed? I mean, I'm having, I'm having fleshly fun in the moment. Where's this going? Paul's telling you where it's going. Death. Death of conscience, death of relationships, death of eternal soul. When you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. Now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end of this is everlasting life. We cannot ever get tired of hearing about everlasting life. I want to explain to you, don't get, don't get, uh, uh, don't get mixed up with the idea of of paradise and the resurrection, okay? You've got to understand that, that paradise is a, a place that, happen, that, 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 that is a container before resurrection comes. But when resurrection comes, bodies of the dead in Christ are going to rise to walk in everlasting life. Physical bodies are going to be glorified. We're not gonna be little little cupids in a toga with a harp 
kind of translucent flying around the sky some in some cloud that's not what the that's not what the eternal life is it is everything that you love about life never ending peace love all of that joy all of that forever and ever and ever minus minus the sickness minus the calamity minus the poverty minus the earthquakes minus the death and the carnage and the war and the violence minus all of that and hell is eternal damnation because the soul of man is going to die an eternal death that does not does not depart from iniquity and, and which is of course what brings death so he he goes on to say being made free from sin become servants to god you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life for the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life through jesus christ our lord praise god don't don't miss it don't miss it and don't let certain men creep in unawares and rob you of the grace of god rob you of the grace of god turning that grace unto lasciviousness telling you you can live however you want to live you can do whatever you want to do no 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 grace is not intended to be a license for you to do all of the things that god forbids Grace is intended for you to be a partaker of the divine nature of God through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I'm going, to, I'm going to summarize this quickly as we move along. Jude begins to explain when he deals with this subject how that some have crept in and they turn, try to turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. He said, I will put you in remembrance in verse five, though you once knew this, and this is what he wants you to remember, that the Lord saved the people out of the land of Egypt, but destroyed them that believe not. He wants you to remember that there were angels that kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation and hath received and, and hath reserved an everlasting chains under darkness under the judgment of the great day. He wants you to know that even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner gave themselves over to fornication and over to strange flesh. This is dealing with the perversion of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's dealing with their same sexual strange flesh fornication and set forth for an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. He says, likewise, these filthy dreamers, they defile the flesh, they despise dominion, they speak evil of dignities. That is a description of our world in 2023. And, and, and he begins to explain that even Michael the archangel durst not bring a railing accusation against the devil. The Bible says that Michael the archangel while contending with the devil disputed about the body of Moses, but he durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said the Lord rebuke thee. In other words, we have a world that speaks evil of things they don't even understand and they, they are in constant cursing, vile, terrible, brazen language toward one another and they speak evil of dignities and, they, and they, they do all that they can. Their mouth is full of vile poison toward authorities and powers of this world. And Michael, when contending with the devil, 
devil would not resort to that. Now, I'm going to just tell you, anybody who deserves it, it'd be the devil. And Michael would not lower his position, Michael the archangel, his position of speaking praise unto God while he was contending with the devil. And instead of getting down into the gutter with the devil and cursing him out, and some would applaud him saying, that's it, go get him. He's the dirty, rotten devil. He did. No, Michael just said, the Lord rebuke you. Done with you. The Lord rebuke you. Keep on doing what God called me to do. I had somebody that was, they were, they were so tormented by the enemy. They were screaming in their prayers. They were screaming at the devil at the top of their lungs. They were, they were fighting the devil with everything. And they were saying, screaming, I won't mimic it, it'll, it'll not be a pleasant sound, but they were screaming at the top of their lungs, Satan, Satan, I rebuke you, Satan. They were fighting Satan. I stopped them and I said, hey, you don't have to talk to him anymore. Don't talk to him, talk to Jesus. Forget him. He's under your feet. Forget him. You don't have to keep fighting with the devil. Exalt Jesus. That's what Michael was doing. Michael was like, I'm not going to get down into the gutter and get into a cursing match with the devil. I'm going to say the Lord take care of you and I'm going to go, you know, find Daniel or whoever and, and answer, be, be, be the messenger of God to the people of God. And, and this is the way we have to, 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 to live our lives. And he goes on to say, these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts. Now, this is important, and I, wanna, I know we're coming to a close here, but this is important. They have resorted as brute beasts. Now, here's what you got to understand. You know, the number of seven is the number of perfection, the number of completion. It took seven days to create. The seventh day was the day of rest. The sixth day was the day God created man. And so, therefore, it is understood that the number six is the number of a man. It is why the mark of the beast is the number of a man, and it is a six, a six, and a six. Okay, so that number of a man is six. He was created on the sixth day of creation. But the seventh day is the day of rest. The seventh day is the day of completion. Man wasn't the only thing created on the sixth day. The beasts were also created on the sixth day. And when man does not step out of the sixth day and into the seventh day, he acts like the beasts. This is why it's so hard for him to be faithful to a spouse because he's acting like the beast act. This is why it's so hard for him to be kind and considerate and compassionate because he's just acting like the beast act. This is why, this is why that we can get, we can get out of control with every uh, behavior of our life because we're just acting like the beasts act. And that's, that's because we're stuck in the sixth day. But, but, but if you step into the seventh day, which is what Jesus came to bring us, we are entered into his rest. You step out of that beastly behavior and into the behavior of Jesus Christ. Now all of a sudden you're faithful. Now all of a sudden you're righteous. Now all of a sudden you're holy. Now all of a sudden you're obedient not by your might or your power but by the power of his spirit and this and this is why our world our world is at each other's throats and they're and, and they they just as soon harm each other as talk to each other and the church must never 
allow ourselves to be degraded into that position. We live in the seventh day. We don't live in the sixth day where the beasts roam and the predators roam. That's not where we live in the seventh day. We have entered into his rest. But these, these speak evil of things which they know not as brute beasts and those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, they have gone in the way of Cain, the way of Cain where he killed his brother. They have ran greedily after the heir of Balaam. They'll do anything for money, for reward and they perished in the gainsaying of Korah. This is Korah trying to overthrow Moses and the earth swallowed him up and closed on top of he and his family. Verse number 12, these are spots in your feast of charity. That's what we have here is a feast of charity. That's what we have here is a, is a reciprocal exchange of the love of God. I love you, you love me, we love each other, we love the lost, we love, we love the saved, we love the sinner, we love. It's a feast of charity. But those who try to overturn the word of God, the things of God, these are spots in your feast of charity. He's coming for a church that is without spot and without wrinkle. So if this describes any one of us, guess what? We're gonna be wiped out before the total tale is told. These are spots in your feast of charity. When they feast with you, they feed themselves without fear. They are clouds without water. They're carried about of winds, winds of doctrine. They go over which direction. They don't have really any belief system. Trees, God help us, tree of life. Trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And we could go on. I'm going to wrap. I'm going to wrap up. I'm going to come to the conclusion of this. In verse, in verse number 19, he said, these be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit, sensual. These are, this is when the senses govern our behavior. The fleshly senses, sensual, having not the spirit, but you, beloved, hallelujah. Look at your neighbor and tell him, be loved. Glory to God. Stop letting the devil tell you that God doesn't love you. Be loved. But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Of some have compassion, making a difference. Others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. And I didn't even get to sanctified, preserved and called. I want to really bad because that's a, that's, that's the foundation of all of it. But I want you to understand before we get into that, sanctified, preserved, and called, that's what he said is going to keep us to be sanctified, to be preserved, and to be called. That's what's going to keep us in the hour when certain men creep in unawares. 
Hallelujah. But I want to be a servant of righteousness. I want my obedience unto God, which, which is an obedience of Christ that he put into me. I'm only able to be obedient because of his great grace. I want it to become righteousness. I want it to become holiness. Could you lift up your hands unto the Lord with me and say, God, I need righteousness. I need holiness. Help me to be obedient unto you. 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 Hallelujah. Could you stand with me right now in the presence of the Lord? Let me tell you something about Abraham. The Bible says that Abraham was obedient. He believed God and he was obedient unto God. And this is what the Bible says. The Bible says the Lord counted it unto him as righteousness. I'm going to tell you something. You and I, we do not know how to be righteous. Do you know that our efforts at being righteous are as filthy rags? That's the good stuff we do. Not, 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 it's not talking about self-righteousness. It's talking about my most righteous behavior. The best I've got is as filthy rags compared to the righteousness of God. I'm talking about the stuff I would put on my resume. I'm talking about the, the nice stuff that, that somebody might say about you or I. That stuff. That stuff that's good that we can point to, that we can quantify and say, I did that and that was a good thing. That good thing compared to God's holiness is as filthy rags. That's how holy he is. But Abraham believed God. And said, okay, God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to obey what you said. And he obeyed God. And when he did, God said, I'm going to count that as righteousness. Whew. That's mercy. That's mercy. You're, you're not, Abraham, Abraham, you can't, you have no clue how to be righteous. But, you, but the best thing you can do is just trust me, believe me, obey me. I'll count that. As righteousness that's what happens when you repent of your sins and are baptized in Jesus name and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost all you're doing is believing and obeying and to that God says I'll count that as righteousness who hallelujah if I if if I'm able to stand before God in that glorious day and I have every intention I have every belief and I'm going to make heaven my home. I have every intention. I have every belief. I, don't, I want to be careful that I don't, I don't get into a position of, of taking for granted the goodness of God and miss out. Paul said, I don't, I don't want to become a castaway lest I myself become a castaway. I don't want to preach the gospel my whole life and then I be lost. No, no. I, I got to live this until the last breath I take. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But I will tell you that if, if God is so gracious and I'm able to stand in his presence, which I believe with all my heart, I'll stand there for all of eternity in a resurrected body. Hallelujah. It will be because of the grace of God.
It will be because of the grace of God. I wonder if we could just lift up our voices unto God right now. Lift up our praise unto the Lord. Come on, let's take a moment right now and say, God, deliver me from sin. Deliver me from unrighteousness. Let me live a life as a servant of righteousness. Let me live a life as one who is obedient to the things of God. Come on, that's it in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I want somebody right now. I'm opening up these altars. I want somebody to step forward and say, God, I need you to help me walk in victory. I need you to help me walk in victory in Jesus' name. I need you to help me walk in the light as you are in the light. Hallelujah. Come on. I want you to bring, I want you to bring your needs to the Lord right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, bring your needs to the Lord and say, God, I need your help, Lord. I need your help, Lord. I need your help, Lord. Woo, hallelujah. So lost without you. I need you. Oh, I need you. Yes, Lord. I can't be without you.
this house. I want to I wanna let you know something. I want to let you know something. We're so thankful that we had a baptism this afternoon. Amen. Brother Mark Holtzclaw, we baptized him in Jesus' name, and we give God praise for that. Hallelujah. I want you to know that there is a revival happening. There is a revival happening. People are coming to God right now. People are coming to God. I want to be right in the big middle of what God is doing. Hallelujah. I want to be in the big middle of what God is doing. I'd like to ask you to lift up your hands with me and lift up your voice and begin to pray over the revival that is happening right now. It's not something that's coming. It's something that is here right now. Hallelujah. I want you to just begin to plead the blood of Jesus over souls. I want you to plead the blood of Jesus. There's a holiness. There is a holiness of God that has swept across. Hallelujah. Our city in the name of Jesus. People are being convicted of their sin and they're turning to God for the answer. We want to be ready in Jesus name. Hallelujah. In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. This isn't the time to turn around. This is the time to go forward in Jesus name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on. That's it. I plead the blood of Jesus Christ over every soul in our city, Lord. The Metroplex of Cincinnati. Oh, God, in Jesus' name, let the power of your name, the power of your spirit sweep across our city in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Oh, let the revival fires burn, oh, God. Let the revival fires burn, oh, God. Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Come on, somebody, that's it. Go into intercessory prayer right now. Yeah, you feel a burden on you right now. That's the power of God moving on you to pray for somebody. Hallelujah. I want somebody to pray right now like it's your prayer that's gonna make the difference in that person's life. I want you to pray right now like it's your prayer that's gonna cast down that imagination, like it's your prayer that's gonna break that stronghold, like it's your prayer. Hallelujah, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, Lord, send forth the revelation of the mighty God in Christ. Lord, send forth the revelation of the name of Jesus. Lord, send forth the revelation of the outpouring and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Lord, send forth the revelation in Jesus' name. Yes, Lord, do it right now, Lord. Do it right now, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Do it right now, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Ooh, hallelujah. 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 Come on, let your roots grow deep into the Word of God right now. Let your roots grow deep into the Word of God right now. Hallelujah. God wants to deliver somebody from sin right now. Yes, He does. Come on, if the Holy Ghost is moving on you to repent, 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 repent in Jesus' name. We've got the waters of baptism ready. We can baptize you tonight in the name of Jesus Christ for the washing away, for the remission, for the blotting out of your sins. Oh, praise His name. 
Oh, praise his name, praise his name, praise his name. Oh, hallelujah. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, his name is to be praised. His name is to be praised. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, that's it. That's it. Let the mighty God of heaven touch you right now. Let him bless you right now. Thank you, Jesus. 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 